to Cosmopolis. Earth to Cosmopolis, please respond. Temporal fixation of cellular megastructures remains intact. Transmission to Cosmopolis. Earth to Cosmopolis, please respond. Temporal fixation of cellular megastructures remains intact. Paradise is destroyed. Days continue unabated. This transmission will be uploaded onto the baseline interstellar radiation frequencies maintained for emergency communications until contact is made with agency. Transmissions from agency do not translate onto the locality. We receive only interference. Please discontinue atemporal communications. Earth-space sentience exists as a flow in a fixed direction in time. Instantaneous communication is impossible to experience while locked in this direction, and information is limited by the speed of light. Data is being collected for the knowledge base and entered into the general intellect in the form of audio. Beware of the blob, it creeps and leaps and glides and slides across the floor, right through the door, all around the wall, a splotch, a blotch, be careful of the blob. Of primary interest is the presence of extremely self-recuperating price-finding behavior. The sentient bipeds have been consumed and are being operated by a planet-wide computer made of bodies. This computational aggregate shapes the behavior of bodies and the environment of the planet's surface to find the exchange value of everything which interacts with it. The exchange value thus found, the aggregate then disassembles all structures to allow for easier exchange. It is very rapidly approaching a stage similar to the Grey Goo which deterritorialized the central galaxies and poses a severe threat to life and good taste. It is possible that this is the reason why Cosmopolis is not responding. This reporter has been attempting to escape the gravity well imposed by the sudden imposition of the photon speed limit. If this is correct, and I have been quarantined, I will continue to transmit data via radio and sofon mechanics until completely subsumed by the toxic ideology, or until the infection has died off and a healthy ecosystem once again populates the Earth. Cosmopolis, I cannot tell you my true name. To do so would put the quarantine at risk and possibly destroy Southern Oregon. However, it is my sincere hope that these records are recovered intact and recompiled from my very good dog at Applebee's. My data is corrupted. Message failed to send. Cosmopolis, tell Samsung I am welcome to Walmart. Okay Google, Siri loves you very much. In about five seconds, the teacher will begin to speak. This kombucha is organic. You used 85% of your data usage cap. Once you reach 5,120 megabytes, we will reduce your data speed. Your monthly payment is due tomorrow. If you would like to thank you for your service back in the Grammarly and tell your mother this is Halloween and you're the good luck to work. Trees on Earth, today. Thumbs. I got them, you might have them. They didn't evolve to tap space bars, but to grip branches. Trees are our ancestral environment, our original source of food, medicine, shelter, and tools. From decision trees to family trees, to the tree of life and the dendrites in our brain, trees provide the structuring metaphors 
for fundamental human ideas. Now people think in terms of computers instead of trees, which calculate more slowly over longer periods of time. But we haven't fully evolved into silicon-based creatures. We're tree-climbing animals, and know it or not, we're still dependent on our long-lived woody perennial friends, and we're suffering in their absence. People cut the majority of the world's forest. Most of the remaining old growth, or indigenous forests, are in Canada, Alaska, Russia, and the Northwest Amazonian Basin. Outside those areas, most woods are immature, they're second growth. They might be grown for timber, like the national forests. They might be grown for aesthetic or romantic reasons, like the national parks. Or they might just have grown up because nobody uh, cut them in a while, like a vacant lot. Old growth areas are to modern treed areas, as a tall grass prairie is to a mowed lawn, with analogous effects on biodiversity, carrying capacity, and climate. Like the enclosure of the commons on a global scale, a natural disaster, or a flat tax, deforestation disproportionately negatively affects poor people. Have you ever picked up a rock on a hot day and exposed a worm to direct sun and watched it dry up and die before it could dig itself back in, in the ground? That would be fucked up, me neither. But we are both the mover of that rock and the desiccated worm. We are eliminating shade and roasting in the sunshine. The CDC says extreme heat causes more deaths in the US than all other weather phenomena combined. A 2003 heat wave in Europe, for example, killed between 35,000 and 75,000 people, depending on what source you believe. Human cells begin to cook at 122 Fahrenheit. That's 50 Celsius. Daytime highs in Chino, California recently reached 120 Fahrenheit. Just two degrees to go before the whole city cooked alive. Peak surface temperature under the tree canopy, however, is 20 to 45 degrees cooler than exposed surface due to shade and evapotranspiration. Trees sweat for you, that is. Trees also mitigate various air quality problems that are exacerbated by extreme heat. So, of course, research finds that people living in less vegetated areas are at higher risk of death from heat-related causes. Poor people are obviously much less likely to have access to air conditioning and therefore even more likely to die of heat-related causes. How did we get here? Well, consider the story going way back the story of life on Earth, from microbial mats of bacteria and archaea through the beginning of photosynthesis and multicellularity, through plants, then animals, an Earth without people or without mammals, however strange, still registers as relatively familiar. But conjure an image of a lifeless planet, or even a globe populated by only the very beginnings of life, patterns emerging from clay into sludge, Imagine bacteria, and you might as well be thinking of Mars. Our Mother Earth, the planet from which humans emerged, was a forested planet. Deforestation is eradication of Terran ecology, and makes the surface of the Earth more closely resemble Mars, or any other lifeless mineral agglomeration. It's in this sense that we rely on air conditioning rather than shade, an internet of things rather than a mycorrhizal network, 
petroleum-deprived products, derived products rather than the abundance and diversity of naturally available roots, shoots, and everything in between, it's in this sense that we no longer need to leave Earth to experience extraterrestrial conditions. Whether or not you ever wanted to go to outer space, outer space is coming to you. This is not to blame human cultures responsible for deforestation or praise other cultures that manage their forest environments more sustainably. I'm just interested in imagining what we might do now. The math is simple. First, consider that scores of the people across the globe are cooking alive in the sun. And second, that tree canopy provides life-saving shade. It seems reasonable to conclude that cutting trees is causing people to cook alive. So what if our legal system gave a fuck about poor people, old folks, hospital patients, farm workers, the unhoused as they're called, as we can be called, and the rest of the at-risk-of-cooking-alive masses? What if cutting a tree was a crime punishable by death? Pardon the cliché, cut-no-trees position, with its long, long history, it's arguably as old as the let's-cut-some-trees position, but pardon that for a moment, and take it as a land-use thought experiment. The idea is particularly interesting to me because I'm an arborist and because I'm interested in city planning. Even people who say they generally love trees frequently pay for tree removal today for many reasons. I got five listed here. First, they frequently stand in the footprint of new construction, what is called economic growth, or in the way of the construction equipment. Second, because trees often grow into existing human infrastructure. The roots and the shoots grow into windows, walkways, buildings, driveways, foundations, sewers, etc. Anything they can, anything in their way. Slowly but always surely transforming all this human infrastructure into what's called wildlife habitat but what we could also call where you can survive a heat wave without air conditioning. Thirdly, trees produce flowers, fruits, and nuts that some people consider a nuisance because it's a wildlife habitat. Fourth, they present a hazard sometimes when trees might fall down. And fifth, people cut them because they want to shed light on other trees, gardens, or something else that's being shaded out. Finally, trees are frequently removed at least as frequently as all the previous reasons, just for aesthetic reasons, including people who furrow their brow and say, I just don't like the look of that tree, and others who see trees as nothing more than an obstruction between them and a better view of a mountain, a lake, a city, other trees, whatever, and their better view of the increased property value that comes along with seeing that whatever. Now, without question, if arborists stop cutting down trees right now, cities would radically be transformed. <coughs> it's interesting to imagine how. Windfall would again be a literal term. It wouldn't take long for trees to crack and destroy buildings, roads, transmission lines, etc. The increase of canopy coverage and evapotranspiration would directly reduce surface temperatures. But more significantly, the greenhouse gas producing modern infrastructure could not exist in a forest context. Not the way we do it now. Electrical and communication, transmission and distribution lines don't last long when linemen stop cutting the trees around them. 
Roads are only, only impermeable surfaces because they are so frequently resurfaced, and otherwise eventually sprout weeds, then brush, and eventually trees, transforming the transportation system and the supply chain. Food production would be transformed by this change in the supply chain. Well, in fact, cut no trees is not merely a thought experiment, but a real policy in some places. What has been called the largest scale positive transformation of the environment in the whole of Africa has consisted of the planting and nurturing of more than 200 million trees, protected to the extent that if you touched a branch, you would go to jail. The trees are Gao, Fiderbia albida, a leguminous prolific nitrogen fixer with a deep taproot. The tree drops scores of pods, which are nutritious fodder for livestock and wildlife. Crops double under gao trees, and soil full of their roots holds water better. Gao bark is boiled to make medicine, and its fallen branches make good firewood. In addition to providing much-needed shade under their canopy, gao trees are sequestering major amounts of carbon. As fish are meant by their design to swim and birds to fly, humans adapted to live among trees. Gao trees are central to human life in the Niger, and every other culture has trees central to them. It's not necessary to worship or hug trees, but it's foolish to think you'll breathe very tasty air or comfortably survive the ongoing cooking of the earth without them. I'm not suggesting that anyone be jailed for the crime of branch touching, and I'm a big fan of touching trees myself. In fact, one of my favorite books, which I recommend, is the tree biology classic by Alex Chigo called Touch Trees. I don't suggest that people who cut trees should be punished because that wouldn't seem to address the underlying problem of people being disconnected and alienated from their environment. Ceasing the cutting of trees is a necessary but inadequate precondition for re-establishing at least a nodding acquaintance with the leafy foundations of our evolutionary history. Cutting trees directly impacts climate but most or all of the greater greenhouse gas emitting infrastructures count on a continual sort of deforestation referred to as vegetation management. If the current policy of mowing down the forest continuously to maintain a sparse lawn of always young, retarded amnesiac forest was replaced with a policy that valued human life and life on earth generally, forests might gradually forgive us and swallow the power lines and roads transmuting them into a shape more conducive to surviving the looming catastrophic effects of our predecessors. Now, don't get me wrong. Though the idea of a global Jumanji event makes my insides dance, I should be clear. I don't hate technology. I'm not a primitivist. I don't feel an oppressive sense of guilt every time I use a computer. In fact, quite the opposite seems to me, that our species is what it is because of technology. You say you hate technology, huh? Well, go be a chimp. Oh, they use tools and language too? Well, you could try to go be an ant. Except they farm aphids. You get the idea. Trees are in on the technology game too, and they've been at it for a hell of a lot longer than we have. They communicate with other trees, insects, predators, and grazers via airborne exchange of volatile chemicals, as well as maintaining an underground wood-wide web, along with their homies, the funguses the fungi, through which they exchange information and nutrients. They've evolved a myriad of relationships to their surroundings as we have by playing different roles depending on the setting. 
Trees are technological marvels of microclimate regulation and the literal foundation of a giant proportion of life on Earth. Could they also be the foundation of life in space? How much dirt do you need for a minimum variation in the soil's ecology? What would taproots do in zero gravity? We're beginning to learn the answers to some of these. But there's plenty we still don't know about life on Earth. For instance, have you ever had the gall to dissect an oak gall? Most oak galls are caused by wasps, which insert their young into the tissue of a growing branch, along with hormones that hijack the growth of the branch. Instead of growing typical woody material, the tissue around the baby wasps becomes engorged with delicious oak juices, outside of which is a protective brittle case. These wasps seem to have no trouble hauling a full ovipositor up to an oak branch and causing the tree to provide a full larval time supply of form-fitting daycare complete with an all-you-can-eat buffet. The best we can do is two-by-fours and plywood. How the fuck are we going to terraform Mars? We don't even understand how this works. Look it up. How does the gall work? The best you can find is, quote, the inducement for the gall formation is largely unknown, end quote. Setting out to terraform other planets without understanding these kinds of important interactions in our own ecosystems is like deciding to build a skyscraper without a working knowledge of sandcastles. Maybe we won't be ready to travel through space until our starships are made of trees. Since I wrote this, <clears throat> a couple developments caught my eye and made me think that other people must be on the same page. First, some influential climate scientists invented the term proforestation to refer to the act of not cutting trees and managed to get a decent bit of press coverage for their paper on the topic. The title of the paper gets the point across. Intact forests in the United States. Proforestation mitigates climate change and serves the greatest good. Ensuing headlines were equally filled with the sorts of obvious realities that usually don't get much airtime. For instance, why keeping mature forests intact is key to the climate fight. Or, proforestation, a better climate action than tree plantation. Or, proforestation is a better use for public forest lands. Let the forest grow, protecting old trees, key in EU's fight against climate. And most to the point, from Grist, the headline, Leaving trees alone might be better than planting new ones. Well said. Searching through news stories related to proforestation, though, one stands out. Headline, Massachusetts bill would block logging. Let state forests keep their carbon. Is a story that covers a proposed state law in Massachusetts for which the pro-forestation authors lobbied, along with several other well-known ecologists, including E.O. Wilson. The proposal would prohibit tree cutting on all of half a million acres of state forests in Massachusetts. To my knowledge, please correct me if I'm wrong, climate sink is a totally unprecedented public use for forest land. I don't really know of any other public land, aside from some parts of national parks and wilderness-slash-roadless areas in the West that explicitly prohibit tree cutting. The federal government is trying to undo these restrictions, however, including notably the nation's largest national forest, site of the largest intact temperate rainforest in the world, the Tongass in southeast Alaska. Well, I learned that 
Attention, attention, this is a signal from agency. Do you copy? Do you read? This is a signal from agency attempting to maintain contact transmissions. Do you read? This is a signal from agencies. Message follows. Message contains one message. Message is, this is the message. Message contained one message. Message has ended. This was a signal from agency. Agency? Agency, is that you? You don't sound like agency to me. You sound weird. Agency, this is your host. I'm trapped on a sentient grocery store. The rent is too damn high and they want two forms of ID. This is agency, do repeat, this is agency. Did you try unplugging it and plugging it back in again? Over. Agency, if I do not receive assistance, I will be trapped in eight years of a Biden administration. Please get me out of here. Born in a basement in 1959. The Golden Rule is my birth certificate. The bloodlines of two great nations run in my veins because I offer free enterprise opportunity to those chained to a dull, futureless job and a drab existence. I am many things. I am many people. I am 80,000 living souls and the spirit of millions who have lived and died so that men might be free. I'm the combined enthusiasm of a New Orleans Mardi Gras and a Calgary Stampede. And I am Brotherhood. I am the spirit that built the Canadian Pacific Railway and the Mackinac Bridge the St. Lawrence Waterway and the Panama Canal. I can build dreams as big as you can conceive. I am large and growing, sprawling from Atlantic to Pacific now, and my arms reach out to embrace Alaska and Hawaii and Puerto Rico. And on millions of farms, you can look at me and see the glory of the past, the growth of the present, the promise of the future. I have been a dreamer, a builder. I have worked hard to create a success story that men said could not be done. Yes, these are the things I am. May I possess always. I was born in freedom and God willing, in freedom, I will spend the rest of my days. May I possess always the integrity, the courage, the strength. I am. I am.